Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. The shift to outcomes is a really big shift happening in the B2B market space. And here's really how you need to think about it. Experiences matter. Experiences are the method. Outcome is the goal. Time to value is the metric. So when we start to rethink that idea, we can start to then see how we need to change our organizations. Experiences matter, but an experience that doesn't lead to the desired outcome doesn't. Welcome back. I hope your week's been totally awesome so far. If you haven't yet listened to my recent conversations with international profile and communications specialist Alan Stevens and with Elizabeth Pampalone of Absolute Marketing, then go check them out, but only after you've listened to today's conversation, of course. I'm really excited today to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest, Matthew Sweezy. He's the Director of Market Strategy at Salesforce, where he works on the future of marketing and delivers that vision to some of the biggest brands in the world, like Harley-Davidson, Boeing, Shell, and Home Depot. Matt is considered a pioneer of the marketing automation space and regarded as one of the top minds on the future of marketing. He's the author of The Context Marketing Revolution and also Marketing Automation for Dummies. He also hosted the award-winning mini-series, The Electric Propaganda Society. In our discussion today, Matt talked to me about marketing being a game based on rules and that the rules are changing. We are now in an infinite media environment. He explained how the environment we operate in must dictate our behaviour and he explained the new rulebook for context-based marketing engaging your audience with a vision, then do market, sell, build, market. Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Matthew Sweezy. Hi, I'm your host Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from Boulder, Colorado in the USA, Matthew Sweezy, who's the Director of Marketing Strategy at Salesforce. He's the author of The Context Marketing Revolution and host of the Electric Propaganda Society miniseries. Welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Great to have you here, Matt. Now, Mark Schaefer, who was our guest on episode 34 episode 324 not 34 324 of the Innova Buzz podcast suggested that we have you on as a guest so big hello to Mark 
I was chatting with Mark uh, two hours ago. Oh, right. Mark, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we had a lot of fun talking about his um, marketing book. Um, and and I know he's got a, a new one coming out or just come out. So, um, after just came out. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, before we start talking about all things marketing, what is it that drives you and how does that shape what you actually do today? Ooh, what drives me? What drives me is really finding the future and really kind of pushing the edge of this concept or this idea of marketing. Um, I love the topic, um, but I also love the future. So I kind of combine those two things and kind of really sit in that spot. Mm -hmm. All right. And, and your role at um, Salesforce, what does that encompass? Yeah, so uh, director of market strategy. So I really focus on the future of marketing. So I own that as a POV for the organization. So doing a lot of research, doing a lot of writing, working with a lot of customers, um, really just trying to figure out what the future looks like and then what should we be doing in that future. Hmm. All right, well, let's talk about the future of marketing. I mean, I think the, I can't remember the exact date now. Back in 2009, you talk about in in your book where the um, consumer generated content suddenly took over um, the mainstream media content and now we find ourselves in a very noisy marketplace and, and that's brought about some necessary rethinking of marketing. So talk to us a little bit about that particular issue. Yeah, so let's, first off, let's get super nerdy. Um, so I'm a super nerd on this topic. Um, and what I don't want people to think about is two steps back. The core thesis of my book is why we need a new definition for marketing. That's the core thesis, what I wrote about. I argued against the, the common definition of marketing and said, that's the wrong idea. And I used theory called uh, media theory. And so if you're familiar with a gentleman named Marshall McLuhan, he's known as Canada's greatest thinker, wrote The Medium is the Message. There's tons of books that he wrote about. I actually worked with his son and grandson on this theory and on this book. And so what you have to realize is media environments dictate human behavior. When the media environments change, humans change. And why is that so critical? Because the role of marketing is to drive motivation in a human. But if we don't understand how they actually are motivated and how the environment motivates them, then we miss the point. And here's where I'm really going at with this. Marketing is a game. It's a game that we play and the rules are set based on the environment that we operate within. Now, there's some things that have always been true that we think will always be true. But the reality is those truisms just came out of the best game to play at the best time, such as there's no such thing as bad press. That was true in an era of limited media because this is what would happen. A human would see a story and it would be a visceral. They would remember it. But over a period of time, the parts of that story would fade away. But then when they saw that brand again, they would have, I remember that. I don't know why I remember that, but I remember mm -hmm. that. That is why this notion of there was no such thing as bad press worked in a limited media environment. We are now in an infinite media environment and that date that you specified is the mathematical date that I was able to prove that that is the actual point in time we entered a new media era that I call the infinite media era. And in that media era, there's a different way that humans make decisions. The, the, the notion of being top of mind doesn't really make sense because we offload memory to digital devices. We ask questions, the, the notion of how many phone numbers do we remember? And now then you ask the question of, well, what is even true of this notion of considered versus non-considered purchases? And now what we start to see is even things that are traditionally non-considered purchases like toothbrushes are now considered purchases because they can be. 
because an individual has a mobile device in their hand that is connected to an infinite amount of data, an infinite amount of information that they can access, and most importantly, that they trust. And so now they start to make decisions in different ways. And so that's really the underlying thesis of what we're talking about, is we have to have a new definition of marketing attuned to the new media environment. And it's not just that consumers make more noise. It's this is a whole new world, whole new world of how we connect, how we create, how we are motivated, how we think, how we live. And so that's why we need a new definition. We just can't take old games that were made for a different time and try to retrofit them for this new era. We have to come up with completely new ideas. Yeah, yeah. And one example of that probably is um, reviews, online reviews, which, I mean, I find myself checking those all the time for purchases, even as you say, for something as simple as a, a toothbrush, because it's so quick and easy and convenient. So you can see how what other people have um, said about particular things or um, what uh, reputable organizations have have tested um, particular items and reported on so that you have that information at hand. And like you say, in the olden days, that information wasn't necessarily at hand and you just remembered, oh, I think I've read about that somewhere, uh, but it may have been bad information and that part you've deleted. Yeah, and take that a step further, right? So it, don't just think about this as that there's more noise and that consumers can create different stuff. Start to then move to the next part of, well, then what do we do about that? Well, what you just talked about is a co-created method, right? Someone created content about that brand. And if that brand was savvy, they'd been working, they would be working with their marketplace to ensure that in the moments along that customer's journey, that they are finding that stuff in context. And that's what we start to mean by context. It's not how do I take something and make it contextual as much as it is what is in context of the moment that the individuals find themselves in and how do we get in context with those moments. And to your point, that's exactly what you just did is that when you search for a review, what you were looking for is trusted information. What we perceive as trusted is totally different because what you just said is I'm looking for content from others. I'm not reading reviews from the brand. We understand that's biased. What we're doing is we have a new way that we trust. And if we're not aware of that as a brand and we're not ensuring that we're focused on doing those things, then we're not going to be in context of those moments. Yeah. And we will break through. Okay. And, and what, uh, so what can businesses do to position themselves in a better light with their marketing so that they, they, they are in or they're presenting the right information at the particular context where people are likely to make a buying decision. Yeah, so first off is we have to erase ideas such as the one you just proposed, which is right message, right person, right time. Hmm. Theoretically, that was a game that we thought would be a good game to play. But let me ask you a question. The apex of this theory is called Google AdWords. What is the conversion rate on a Google AdWord across the globe, right? If we just say, what's the ballpark average conversion rate of Google AdWords, what is it? Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is, but uh, I haven't used AdWords. Sorry? 2.34%. That's average, which means that there's below that and above that, right? That's across the globe. Now, if you look at that number through a different lens, here's what you hear. You hear, oh, it works 2% of the time. You also then hear it fails 97.5% of the time. So we must realize is the apex of theory of one message, the right message at the right person at the right time, and that's all we need to motivate somebody and drive action, really fails 97.5% of the time, and it gets even worse. You remember how Google AdWords used to have the right-hand side of ads and they no longer have those on the right-hand side? Yeah. Those converted at a 
fraction of a percent. So even if you put the right message in front of the right person at the exact moment they're asking that question, that is not the right formula. That does not guarantee success. Um, so we need to rethink this idea. It's not about what message can I put in the right place. It's how do I work with my marketplace to help solve for the value for the individual in that moment. And when you reframe it of how do I understand what their value is and how do I solve for it, it's not me brand creating message to convert you. It's how do I then reach and then figure out what your value is and then work with the marketplace to deliver that value. So the question you have is what can brands do? Step one is they can move out of this idea that they're the ones that need to be creating the messages and realize that they must work with their marketplaces to create these experiences. And that word is called co-creation. And that word happens at every moment across the customer journey. It doesn't matter if it's what content are we creating all the way through to the support that we're pr providing. When brands work with their marketplaces to do things, they break through in new ways and they decimate industries, right? Here's one of my favorite examples, Tesla. Let's look at Tesla versus Mercedes-Benz and talk about co-creation. So if we look at this idea, and I said a new idea of marketing, before I go through that, I want to share data with everyone. Over the past five years, we've been looking at what are the key differences between high-performing marketing organizations and everyone else. And by the way, we've been able to identify that high performers are 10 times more likely to be significantly beating their direct competition. 10 times. You know what the number one key trait is? It's full executive buy-in to a new idea of marketing, where marketing is not the silo department who creates messages. They become the owners and sustainers of all experiences across the customer journey. With that, these organizations change. So let's look at this example of Tesla versus Mercedes-Benz. Mercedes-Benz, an old company, at 2017, they're the number one luxury car manufacturer. Marketing is an old idea because they've been running it for so long and they were good at it, they didn't see any reason to change, right? Now their average advertising cost per unit sold for just this one specific model, we don't need to get into the details, $926. And of that one model, they sold 86,000 units which is you're like, oh, that's probably pretty good. They're the number one luxury car manufacturer. What also happened in 2017? Tesla launches the Model 3. The Model 3, the average advertising cost per unit sold of the Model 3 is $6. That's 1 150th of what their closest competitor, Mercedes-Benz, was spending on a similar model. And then you ask the question, well, that's cool. They spend less money. What did they get for it? They sold... 276,000 cars domestically inside the United States, 86 versus 276, that's 3X plus. Now, if we go to the underlying idea of what marketing means to these organizations, to Mercedes-Benz, marketing means we build a car, marketing tells the world about the car that we've built, and then we sell cars. Old idea of marketing, it's a byproduct of production. New idea of marketing, Tesla. Tesla starts by having a conversation with the marketplace about how do we get the world off of fossil fuels? That's the conversation they have. It's not about the cars. Then they do is they say, listen, for us to do this, for us to achieve this goal together, you need to help fund this idea. They pre-sell the car. Those 276,000 cars, they didn't exist when they sold them. Think about that. Think about you getting an advertising brief that tells, we wanna sell three times as many cars, spend one 150th the cost, and by the way, the product doesn't exist. There's no, there's no advertising and marketing campaign you can come up with, yeah. right? So we start by working with the marketplace by having a conversation. Then they work with the marketplace to fund and build the car. Then they continue to market through the most amazing car buying experience anyone's ever seen in the world, right? And we know the results. You know who the number one luxury car manufacturer is today? And it's obvious, it's mm -hmm. Tesla, right? 
So we need to rethink these ideas of what marketing is and, and work with our marketplaces. That's the first thing we need to do. Yeah. And I like that you said, you know, that it's the whole experience. So it's not finished when uh, someone buys the Tesla. And I, I was uh, riding with a, a friend recently and I didn't realize he had a Tesla, but he did, it just came up in conversation and he started telling me all about the wonderful features of this Tesla and, oh, you must come for a ride one day and all of these things. So I, I, I thought of the story in your book and thinking, well, you know, every Tesla owner is the best marketer for that brand. And of course, he's my friend, so I trust him. Yeah, I mean, so like so this concept of with, not on, and the concept of co-creation. So a lot of B2B organizations have this hard time with this. They say, well, that sounds cool. You gave an example of Tesla, but I sell a, a business service or I sell a, a manufacturing product. It's not sexy. It's a small marketplace. It's a complex sale. How does that work for me? And this idea of working with your marketplace, it doesn't matter what marketplace you're in. You just have to realize your marketplace isn't what it once was. It's now controlled by the individuals. And so if we look at B2B, we see the exact same things. We see B2B organizations working with their marketplaces to create the content that they want to publish and get out there in the world. We see them working with their customers in different ways, right? Going in and bringing in innovation consulting techniques to go into the C-suite and co-create what does their future look like? And then from that future, then design the products into that future. We see co-creation of the products. We see co-creation on the back end in terms of communities and user groups. And how are we then leveraging those aspects in those organizations? Really quick, just think about this from our standpoint. Salesforce has a thing called Trailhead. And we created a community and there's two sides. There's a learning management platform where anyone can come and upskill. And on the other side, there is a support group where people can come in and ask questions and answer other people's questions. Now, the reason we did this is twofold. Our customers want better personal outcomes and our, they also want better business outcomes. So here's what happens. Because they're able to upskill, because they are able to then build better personal brands, here's what we find. From the upskilling and learning how to use tools and how to have these things better and learning how to do these things better, they use these things better. In fact, they spend twice as much with us and stay customers three times as long. That's a hell of a marketing outcome. Mm -hmm. Then the other aspect is better personal outcomes. A quarter of all the people that have engaged in this platform have found new jobs because of engaging with this. If we want to talk about how do we build a deeper and more personal relationship, if you help someone get a new job and up, like, grow in their career, you are at lifetime brand equity with that individual. Mm -hmm. So it's a powerful way. All we did was create the community and we facilitate the conversations. We co-create that thing with our marketplace. It's a with method. We are working with our marketplace, not on them in those moments. And that's the hardest thing for any brand to realize. You have to learn to work with the market. We no longer can just work on the market. That's where the power lies is with. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a really powerful example. And I think the idea of community, I mean, people are starting to embrace the idea of community, but I think they're coming at it from a different aspect. And what, what you've just shared there, the co-creation of content and the kind of the, the co-creating the experience in some ways, isn't it, um, is, is very powerful. And if we can design that into our communities, that, that will really help the marketing. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that... Um, you said, and I, I think it was in the book, um, or maybe it was in the in the Electric Propaganda Society series, 
and that was marketing as the language of creating and sustaining experiences. And I, that that kind of stuck in my mind. And um, I thought, well, you know, you've written recently about experience versus the outcome. So talk to us a little bit more about the, the quote and, and, and how does the experience and the outcome, how, how is that a different viewpoint or perspective? First off, kudos to you for doing your research on the person you're interviewing. Um, so let's, let's dive into this. And so first off, so those that aren't familiar with these two topics, let me kind of walk you back and kind of get you to, to where we are. So I'm a big fan of experience. I've been focused on experiences and this notion of experience for a long time. Um, if you've never read the experience economy by Joseph Pine and, and James Gilmore, you definitely should. Um, but here's what we found. So been focused on experiences. The marketplace has been focused on experiences for a long time. I started doing some research with a colleague of mine in the middle of last year with the question specifically to chief customer officers and chief experience officers with the, the question of how has COVID changed the role of customer experience in your organization? And here's what we heard. I heard this specific quote. I heard, we have happy customers with great experiences leave all the time. We have unhappy customers with bad experiences stay. The differences are the outcomes that they receive. Here's what we missed with this whole conversation about experiences. It is correct that you must understand the power of experience. It is unequivocally the future of what we must do. But here's the flip side. An experience that doesn't lead an individual to their desired outcome is for nothing because it doesn't get them to where they want to go. It doesn't matter. So an experience that doesn't lead to the desired outcome is for not. So what we're finding is that a lot of companies are giving up their traditional experience metrics, such as MPS, they're still using those because there is some value, but it's no longer the North Star for the organization. They're replacing that with outcome-based focus, such as time to value. How quickly can I get this individual to the goal that they want to achieve? And then when we start to expand this notion of outcomes, we start to see a whole new world open up for B2B businesses, whether that be outcome-based pricing. We're seeing Honeywell change their service model and saying, listen, we will manage your building but what we're going to do is we're going to charge you based on the outcomes, not just based on our flat just rate service. Bear Agricultural started selling seeds and fertilizer and other agricultural products based on yield. You're not going to pay us for the seed. We're going to share in the profit of the yield. If we can get a higher yield, we get a higher return. Right. So you start to then see different go to market models. Then when here's what the really cool part is is then once an organization is able to operationalize this idea and orchestrate outcomes, this is a key word, orchestrating outcomes. Because when you look at any key outcome a customer desires, it's not one single team that owns that. There's lots of different people. And so as a part of digital transformation, the move out of silos into smaller functional teams focused on key moments of the customer journey, those need to be focused on delivering the outcomes of that moment. When an organization can deliver the outcome, they then have a different path or a different go-to-market model. Let me give you an example. We heard one enterprise software company saying, listen, we're asking ourselves the question, are we a product company or are we a service company? This is a big shift. This is a SaaS-based product already asking the question of now, are we really a service-based organization? When they have the ability to deliver the outcomes efficiently, they now are going to market in a different way. They say, we don't need sales teams anymore. We can actually have somebody walk into a freemium product and we can get them to their outcome extremely efficiently. We don't need any of that other stuff. And so now there's a different go-to-market model. Then you look at outcome-based pricing. 
outcome-based selling methodologies, and then outcome-based service methodologies where we're starting to measure time to value rather than just what was the experience and what was that impact. So the shift to outcomes is a really big shift happening in the B2B, in the B2B market space. And here's really how you need to think about it. Experiences matter. Experiences are the method. Outcome is the goal. Time to value is the metric. So when we start to rethink that idea, we can start to then see how we need to change our organizations. Experiences matter, but an experience that doesn't lead to the desired outcome doesn't. Mm. Yeah, and I think there's lots of great examples of that in some, um, you know, the common one to me is um, when when you buy a training product. I mean, you know, I've, I've been guilty of this so many times. I get um, inspired by the description of the training product. I do a little bit of research. I decide, yep, that's for me. I, I need that. I like to help that. And then you get halfway through the course and it just gets parked or, or even books. You know, you buy a book and it sits on the bookshelf half read. Um, because there's not that outcome focus. And, and part of it, of course, is is we get busy and we get distracted by other things. But if there's, there's a real focus on the outcome and going back to what you said earlier, working the business, working with the customers um, to achieve that outcome, it, it is a different focus, isn't it? It's not, it's not, I've sold the product, I'm done. It's... Yeah, we, we use the word customer centricity all the time. That's not a new word in the marketplace. Everyone's like, we want to be customer centric. If you want to be customer centric, you have to focus on outcomes. When you put outcomes as the focus, you inherently become extremely customer focused because you know what their outcomes, their desired outcomes are because you start to co-create these things with them in the sales process. If you're doing outcome-based selling methods, then you make sure that you deliver them. So you're orchestrating around the customer's actual needs and desires. So you are inherently making your company extremely customer centric. Hmm. Yeah, and and as you say, it's very much focused on the outcome. And if you go back to the example of Tesla earlier in terms of how they market and they basically test the idea by building building a model with the potential clients and then selling that to make sure that there is commitment there. Um, and then they go on to deliver that and improve along the way as well. Yeah, and I'd add these words to it. It's not just testing the idea, it's building the demand for the product. Mm. And that's half the goal of what marketing is, is, is building demand and driving demand. When you co-create, the demand is inherently built into the final product. If I ask you what you want first and then deliver that thing, you already know what you're going to get and you want it. Whereas mm. if I just make something and try to sell it to you, you're like, eh. yeah, yeah. You know, so it's, right. it's, it's built in demand when you work with us. And it's, it's, it's not rocket science. Anyone that has children has used these techniques to get their kids to do what they want. Because if you just tell a child to do something, you're not going to get a result that you want. Hmm. But if you work with them, you can then get the result that you want, right? It's no, no different than our marketplace. Yeah, yeah. It's a fundamental human behavior, isn't it? Mm -hmm. the, and interesting, I don't know if, you, um, if this is um, going on in the US, but I was reading an article this morning and I immediately thought of you. And I thought, well, that fits in really well with our conversation. And it's, it's, it's um, SpaceX. So it comes from the same, the same organization effectively as Tesla. Mm -hmm. They um, have started pre-selling their satellite internet services here in Australia. And they've already 
um, you know, talked about what it's going to deliver, but you have to buy into it now. It won't be available for a few months. So they're going about it through the exactly the same means and they've already tapped into the need. I mean, I was reading that article and I thought, where do I sign up? Because there is that need there in terms of providing um, a fast internet here in Australia and particularly in remote areas where the very substandard um, copper fiber uh, hybrid system doesn't reach and, and the satellite um, coverage isn't really good. So they're going about it in exactly the same way. Yeah. And, and also, like, there's lots of stuff there. You know, if you go into Elon Musk and all the things he's done, let's just get a, a couple of big things that we need to realize. Number one is social has to be utilized in a different way. Mm -hmm. Elon Musk's platform from Twitter. So here's the, here's the thing you have to realize. They play the media cycle and they win the media cycle with a focus on radical innovation, helping get the world off of fossil fuels. That's the underscoring of every conversation they have with the marketplace. He makes a flamethrower, which is crazy, but it's a radical innovation. So that's how they stay with, because they have a giant targeted addressable market. That's how they stay in with their addressable market by using the media cycle, which means they don't then have to buy advertising on all those things, hmm. right? So that's like the key to doing that. So with that, having that conversation and then co-creating those things builds that demand and keeps them relevant and lets them break through where they don't have to have the advertising budgets of other organizations. Hmm. Fabulous. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, now, one of the other things you talk about in the book and uh, is the power of connection and authentic connection. So with, with um, this, I mean, it really is critical to develop that authentic connection very early on, isn't it? And so talk to us a little bit about that. How do we go about doing that in a marketplace where we perhaps don't have that connection and don't necessarily have a product to put into somebody's hand that might be the basis of connection when we think about the old model? Yes, yeah, so the, the, let's two steps back. What does authenticity mean in our current time and in the future? And you have to look at it through that lens first. What we used to think authentic meant was a brand writing some message that is authentic and that, that still can apply. And in that lens, we then have to ask the question, then what is authentic? And you go back to that statement that I said, consumers are the largest creators of content in, in the world and on the planet. Individuals know the difference. Here's a really good example. And let me ask you and everyone in the audience this question. I love this question. Do you do A or do you do B? How do you manage your email inbox? Do you wake up in the morning, open your email inbox, open the first email, start to scan the contents, decide if you want to continue reading it, then do what you want to do. Go to the next email, open it, start to scan the contents, or do you do B? Do you scan all the subject lines, delete the crap, and then work on the rest? Do you do A or do you do B? B. <laughs> and here's what we need to realize is the human has become so attuned to marketing crap that they can identify a marketing email in a fraction of a second. And here's what's even more powerful. How many bits of characters of information do they have to make that decision? Less than a hundred characters to make that decision. And they do it in a fraction of a second. And how accurate are they at it? Insanely accurate. It's very rare you delete an email and then go back to your spam, your deleted email folder because you mistakenly deleted an email. It doesn't happen, mm. right? So here's what we have to realize is when we are presented with so much content, we are trained to recognize what is human versus what is not human. And marketers are trained to write content for the old era. They're trained to write content to say, 
how do I write one subject line to convert the masses? And when an individual reads that, it comes across very clear as this is a marketing email not designed for me. And in the book, I use a really good example of a LinkedIn message that came from a person which is horribly written, which is all about why I should buy from them, compared to one that was extremely authentic from an individual, which was just three sentences long, and, then, and that's it. Right? We have to realize authenticity is about how does the, what is the context of the modern media world. And we have to realize humans write in different ways. Here's some very practical things you can take away. Email marketing. Do you use full formatted HTML emails? And then do you use those in a one-to-one -one format? We were talking about automation, you and me earlier. Here's the question you need to ask yourself. When that email arrives and it's signed by Joe sales rep or John CEO or Sally CMO, is anyone fooled to thinking that that person actually hand wrote that email? No, because let me ask you a question. Have you ever sat down and created a fully formatted HTML email to send to a single person? No, no one on the planet Probably has ever not. done that, mm, yeah. right? So it's instantly inauthentic when you send it that way. You simply take that same format and strip out all the formatting and just send it in rich text, R-I-C-H, which is just, uh, there's three formats. There's plain, rich, and HTML. Rich is just letters and text. Just go into your Gmail and start typing. That's rich text, allows for hyperlinks. You're going to see a 3x increase in engagement because it's more authentic, because it looks like a human actually wrote it. And so that's what you need to think about as authentic is those are some very easy examples, but then just start applying that everywhere. You know, many B2B organizations operate out of a fear-based method where they're going to have so many review cycles before a message can get out into the marketplace. Everyone's going to have a say, legal's going to make sure it looks pretty. Let me give you a really good example. I taught this to a company. It was a very large company in Europe. And the, uh, the, the individual I taught this to came to a seminar of mine later, like a year or two later. She raises her hand. She goes, I tried to do this and my boss walked into my office and he handed me the email and he says, why isn't our email as pretty as our competitors? Did not ask what was the effectiveness, did not ask anything other than said, why aren't we as pretty? We're not models, we're marketers. It's not about how pretty it is, it's about is it effective? Authenticity is not about prettiness, it's about genuineness. Hmm. Yeah, and, and also going back to the conversation around outcome, focused it's um, when you think of that email what, what's the outcome and if the outcome is that it's being ignored or it's going to the spam folder or or people just dismiss it as as marketing or sales then yep. and if you think in the old marketing mindset what's the problem oh my my copy wasn't creative enough my my email wasn't pretty enough totally not the reason why because it was inauthentic in the modern media environment no one no one cared hmm. yeah the the I have a really good example. It was um, people pitch me to come on the podcast all the time. And there was this one particular email that uh, survived my uh, filter, but for different reasons. And it, it said, you know, loved your podcast episode with XYZ. And I thought, I've never had XYZ on my podcast. And then I read on and it said, uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, it started off dear so-and-so and this this person's name was somebody else and it happened to be a, a previous guest on my podcast so i recognized the name and that might be why i was curious but clearly they'd templated this email hadn't bothered to substitute the podcast uh, host or the podcast name or even the guest's name that they were referring didn't even make any comment about what they heard on that particular podcast so clearly they just picked up 
an episode and a guest name and said, oh, we heard that and we loved it. Um, mm -hmm. So very templated, um, nothing personalized about it. And to me, that's kind of the total opposite of the authentic thing. Exactly right. And we all know the end of that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been absolutely fabulous, Matt. Now I could go on ages talking about marketing, but we don't want to spoil the book for anyone. So, so I suggest go and read the book, The Context Marketing Revolution, and there's a whole lot more in there about the ideas that we've talked about. Um, I think it's a good time now, though, to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round, and it's designed to help our audience who are primarily innovators and leaders in their field with some tips from your experience. So I have awesome. five questions. Good that um, hopefully you'll give us uh, some really insightful answers and inspire the audience to go and do something awesome today. I'll try. All right. Um, what's the number one thing you think anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Number one thing people need to do to be more innovative is make sure they embrace this notion of facilitation. Um, the idea of how we get to ideas, um, it's a process. Um, and facilitation design, uh, understanding how to work with you know, the marketplace, going back to that work with concept, of bringing in more diverse opinions and ideas, that's, that's the key to innovation. It's not just having some brilliant person in the room, it's having a defined, well-oiled process. And facilitation is a skill, you need to have a good facilitator. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And, and bringing about conversations that are meaningful and can then lead to an exchange of ideas or, or enhancement of ideas and joining the dots between maybe disparate ideas or what, what appear to be disparate ideas at the beginning. Mm -hmm. hmm. All right, now what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Um, lots of mentors. Um, so, you know, exposing myself to more and various diverse ideas, opinions, um, just I find that I really am able to come up with new things and innovate new methods, the more information and the more diverse aspects I have. So I have lots of different mentors in different areas. I'm having conversations with those people just totally open up my brain and then start to then, you know, put little seeds and sparks that then spin up and become innovation. Mm -hmm. So again, meaningful conversations. A bit of a theme here. <laughs> All right. Now, do you have a favorite resource you use most often? Favorite resource for what? For the way you do work. Uh, I mean, I'd say the, the easiest place for me to get information is an RSS reader. Um, so I have a Feedly account, which I can kind of put in all my big keywords and topics. And then that just gets, you know, and I put all my email newsletters in there. It kind of collaborates all the ideas, correlates them, and kind of surfaces the ones to the top. And it really makes it easy um, to kind of stay on top of lots of diverse topics um, and lots of, you know, just I'm sure everyone on this podcast has like, you know, 50 different or 100 different email newsletters they're on. It just makes it an easy way to, to consume that content. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I lo love that idea. So it's a basically a keyword search kind of mechanism that, that then filters and consolidates all that information. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, what's the best way to keep a project on track? <laughs> Communication. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of um, of agile methods. Um, so Kaban boards, um, you know, facilitation, having meeting structure, um, you know, just all of the basics. I mean, there's so many things that people just don't know you're supposed to do. Um, but yeah, like just have it, just have an agenda for a meeting. Once that agenda is set, give everyone their time back, be diligent with the time. The goal is not to take up all 30 minutes or an hour. Um, the goal is to get objectives accomplished and then move them forward. Um, and the work should be done outside of the meeting. Um, set up sub meetings if you need to, but I mean, just, oh, there's so much there. Hmm. 
Yeah, so just a lot around that communication efficiency and, and also focusing on the objective there, which comes back to the conversation we were having earlier around marketing. Yeah. All right, now then, what's the number one thing you think anyone can do to differentiate themselves? That's honestly, and there's no answer to that question. Um, <laughs> the way I believe marketing is marketing is specific to you and your marketplace. So every brand is in a different position um, and in a different market. So I can't say what's the one thing you can do to differentiate yourself uh, and give an answer to anybody specifically, but I can tell you some things that you have to do to win in the future. Number one is you have to be able to work with your marketplace. That's it. You do that, you're going to win, right? And then you figure out what you need to do within the, the, your SWOT analysis of who's your competition, what message do you want to put out there? Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, understanding your audience extremely well and then working with them extremely well. So going back to Mark, the reason I'm here, right? The most human company wins. Mm. Um, that's it. So, you know, just be human. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Very consistent with our philosophy, of course, of making marketing human again. So. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been absolutely fabulous, Matt. Now, where can people find out more about you, get a hold of the book, um, maybe even get in touch and say thanks for what you've shared today? Yeah, you can purchase the book anywhere from the Harvard Bookstore all the way through to Amazon. Um, you can get in touch with me. I'm on two social platforms. I'm on Twitter, and that is M-S-W-E-E-Z-E-Y. If you read that really quickly, that is Miss Wheezy on Twitter. Yes, I realized that after the fact. Uh, and then I'm on LinkedIn and it's Matthew with one T last name Sweezy. And you can go ahead and follow me. Great. Fabulous. All right. Well, is there any parting advice you'd like to leave our listener with today? I just challenged everything. Like, I mean, it's just, we're in a radical point in time. That's a massive change happening. So if, the, if just challenge your old assumptions and ideas and see if there's new and better ways to do those things moving forward. Uh, so that's all I'd say is just challenge. Challenge mm. ideas. Love it. Question things, which is a great way to, be innovative as well because um, I, I like to do the what if what if that wasn't the case or what if that was a wrong assumption and and then play that game out mm -hmm. all right well finally Matt who else should I get on this podcast and why <laughs> who else should you get on this podcast ah uh, there's so many good amazing people um, you know Karen Manji is a great one a colleague of mine Tiffany Bova is a great one uh, Val Ashfar there's so many amazing people out there you've already had Mark one of my favorite people on the podcast um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll drop you some names in an email and you can see what you can get on here. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks for that. And we'll, um, we'll start those conversations and see whether we can bring those people on as well. So Great. thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights so generously today, Matt. I've really uh, enjoyed this. It's always great to dig into a, a book I've read and understand some of the thinking behind it and revisit some of the, some of the stories or examples that, that, were in the book so you know the great one about tesla there i think that really highlights how to work with um, the modern environment in a marketing sense and i'm sure there's lots of lessons there for everybody so thanks for sharing all of that all the best for the future and let's stay in touch thanks for having me on I hope you enjoyed that really engaging and informative conversation with Matt and took something away from his episode. I love the whole idea of co-created content with customers and Matt's principles of working with the market and facilitating the conversations with the marketplace. I'd love to know what you took away from Matt's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post which you can find at innovabiz.com.
www.co forward slash Matthew Sweezy. That is M-A-T-H-E-W-S-W-E-E-Z-E-Y. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Matthew Sweezy. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Matt, as well as links to his website, to the book The Context Marketing Revolution, his social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. If you liked this episode and got value out of it, please share that value with two other people that it might help. And tag me in that share so that I can reach out to you with a special surprise thank you gift. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up, including Paul Chapman of the Australian Turntable Company and speaker, author and life coach Tim Story. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.